1: that built this country to begin with are the people from
0: Appalachia. And those same people will build this new economy and will we'll build back what America really is meant to be. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR, shaping our Appalachian region. If you're a Entrepreneur out there, especially in Eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We're back. It's Will and Neil. What up? What's going on? <clears throat> allergies down here in the six hundred six got me hardcore. <laughs> it's that time of year. Pollen everywhere, bro. i don't Understand how you have allergies and I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's part of the landscape, man. When you're in it, you just can't avoid it for some reason. It's uh, both uh, happy and sad day. But rest in peace, Naomi Judd. Yep. That was sad for the mm-hmm. fellow Appalachian. Yep. Had a stellar career. Just watched him at the CMAs. Amazing. It's just sad. On the opposite end of that, it is Derby Week. Oh, yeah, baby. Most exciting two minutes in sports. It's always a special time in, in the entire state of Kentucky. Looking forward to this one. Do you have a pick? Uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm still studying the book, you know. I got I got 24 hours. <laughs> I'll figure it out. I usually go with the 10 horse, you know. Yeah, I do. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. I tend to usually bet on the jockeys. But this year, I kind of like Charge It. I'm going to call my shot right now. Charge It. He's 20 to 1 odds, but he's a Todd Pletcher horse. He's had a couple wins. He's only raced three times, I think, but I'm, I'm feeling good about Charge It. You got big plans for Derby? No, just kind of chill, you know. Been there, done that, huh? Yeah, you and I both kind of been there, done that. Love to do it, you know. Great spectacle, wonderful event. If you have the time. Yeah, kids have kind of taken priority in the last few years, so it's tough to get there. All the local cool kids from Louisville, they don't even go to Derby. They go to Oaks, which is today. Yeah, Yeah. Oaks is a fun time, too. Yeah, it's probably the better thing to do. Less crowd, easier to get tickets to. Not as much pomp and circumstance. Yeah, there's just as many hats, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun day. I wanted to say that uh, Ohio just announced, they call it the Ohio Builds Small Community Big Impact, $500 million for Appalachian counties in Ohio. $50 million in the planning phase. And then 450 million for implementation gr- grants. Supposedly, they have three priority areas: restoring downtowns, improving community health, and rebuilding the local workforce. I like it. So we'll see so, where that goes. I also wanted to mention this past week, you and I attended the ARC Appalachian Envision Stop Number Two. Oh yeah, vir- yeah. the virtual event. They had stop number one in March on the workforce and ecosystems in Cumberland, Maryland. So they're, they're doing this envision for the listeners who don't know Appalachian Envision Roadshow over the next year and a half based on their strategic plan, which they passed in 2021. It's based on five principles building Appalachia businesses, building Appalachia workforce ecosystem, building Appalachia infrastructure, building regional culture and tourism, and building community leaders and Capacity. So they're going to make five stops around Appalachia, each stop based on one of those core principles. So this stop this past week was in Jackson County, North Carolina, and it was focused on culture and tourism. They featured governors and, and tourism pros and community from North Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, and West Virginia. Always nice to see the ARC doing good things in the community. You you know, like the structure or the history of the A.R.C.? I do not, Will. So just a little backdrop, I guess, since we talk about him every now and then. Kennedy, back when he was in office, he campaigned quite a bit in West Virginia. And he, he was kind of struck by the poverty that he saw there. You know, he made a point to try to do something about it. So in 1963, the Conference of Appalachian Governors asked, President Kennedy to create a presidential commission to coordinate action in the region. And in response to that, Kennedy, he convened what was called at the time, the President's Appalachian Regional Commission. So the PARC, it was governors and cabinet level officials that drew up a program for economic development and it informed the Appalachian Regional Development Act. And after the assassination of Kennedy, Lyndon B. Johnson, he signed the ARDA into law in March of 1965. So the ARC was established. And since that time has invested 4.5 billion in Appalachia. With what was that? With billion. Them. Wow. That's a little bit about the, you know, how it kind of got started, but Thanks not too many people r- really know how the ARC function. <clears throat> no, not many people know at all. It's led by a commission composed of the governors from each of the 13 states and a federal co-chair who's appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Right. Each year, a governor is selected from the states as the other (laughs) co-chair. And then the governor selects the state appointee to represent each state called a state alternative. They serve as a liaison between the, the governors and the ARC leader. And then the state program manager is also part of that, who works with local development districts to guide the ARC investments at the local level. And then you have the ARC staff, and that also includes the executive director of the ARC, which is currently Brandon McBride. So I just wanted to lay that out, the structure, and mention that Uh, Everything gets approved eventually through the federal co-chair. And that person is Gail Manchin, our guest tonight. So on this date, May 6, 2021, she was sworn in. So today is her one-year anniversary as federal co-chair of the ARC. I can't think of a better place for her to be on uh, her one-year anniversary. (laughs) Than Appalachia meets world. Absolutely. I'm so excited to to have her on, though. Before we get into that, Will, do you have an app business of the week for us? I do, because we both attended the Envision Roadshow stop number two. And I just wanted to mention some of the businesses. One is the Dogwood Crafters in Dillsboro, North Carolina. It is a craft co-op. It was established in 1976. It showcases handmade treasures created by regional artists. Pretty cool little setup. If you go to it, it's three little log cabins put together. Brenda Anders, who also runs it. One cool little thing that they do, they have a quilt raffle every year to raise money for the local arts. So they sell tickets year round. And then they have the drawing in December of every year. So you can check out their website, www.dogwoodcrafters.com. Dale Collins with Tuskasegee Fly Shop. They have a few locations there in Western North Carolina. It's just a nice little uh, fly shop. It's www.tuckflyshop.com if you want to check them out. Adam and Mary Gelbaugh. They have Dillsboro. River Company. Whitewater rafting and tubing outfit on the Tuskesegee River. Their website is www.northcarolinarafting.com. So there are three tonight at businesses. You can check them out. Yes, sir. Without further ado, I can't wait any longer to get Gail Manchin, the federal co-chair of the ARC on with us. And I'm so looking forward to this. So let's do it. All right, let's get after it. Hey, on the episode today, we have a, an extremely special guest. We have federal co chair of the Appalachian Regional Commission, Gail Manchin. We are honored to have her on the show. She is actually, which kind of blew my mind when I found out, the first federal co chair from West Virginia in the 56 year history of the ARC. She's been a longtime educator in the Marion County schools in West Virginia. She served on the faculty of Fairmont State University, where she also led several initiatives and directed the AmeriCorps Promise Fellows in West Virginia. From 2005 to 2010, she served as First Lady of the Great State of West Virginia. In addition, she served on the State Board of Education, where where she became president. She also served, under another governor, as the Cabinet Secretary for the Office of Education and the Arts. She's also served on several state and national boards, commissions, and committees, but we just wanted to thank you, federal co-chair, co-chair, for being on the episode. We're honored and greatly appreciative of your time.
1: No, thank you so much for reaching out. I'm delighted to share the morning with you here, and uh, my husband told me that I had been preparing all of my life for this job, and by listening to this bio that you just read, I That certainly indicates that it's true. I told him, I'm just glad that I lived long enough to get the job.
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) We wanna ask a question that we ask all our guests. Like most Appalachians are big on traditions. Neil and I, our family is big on tradition as well. one of the traditions we have are appetizers at the holidays we usually have more appetizers than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish?
1: Oh my goodness. You know, we are a family that loves food. We find that most of our happiest moments are in the kitchen, uh, preparing food, tasting it. Certainly appetizers become a big part of that. So I'm going to sort of fudge by saying I love warm dips. Spinach, artichoke, yeah. shrimp, crab dip. I love warm dips and can just really be a little uh, pig when it comes to uh, my chips and
0: and warm dip. Well, Will, Will and I both love a good a good dip. So my wife makes a great buffalo chicken dip that's always mm-hmm. present at all of our family gatherings. So that's a great. Ad- yeah. Now that we have that question out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in 2021. The ARC kind of spent a a whole year traveling around, reaching out to different parts of Appalachia, kind of having these listening sessions, and and, and then encompassed in what has become what the ARC refers to as the Appalachian Envision or the Strategic Plan from 2022 to 2026. And some of those goals in the Strategic Plan the five goals are building Appalachian businesses, building workforce ecosystems, building Appalachian infrastructure building regional culture and tourism, and building community leaders and local capacity. And can you just briefly tell our listeners what the ARC's role is in achieving those goals?
1: Well, thank you so much. Yes, 2021, of course, as everyone experienced with COVID, really had pushed our strategic plan. It should have been done by 2021, and with COVID, then it couldn't. And so it did give the ARC staff a chance to really reach out in a much more thorough way to people. And what we found is that our goals did not change a lot from what our previous strategic plan had been. What we found, though, is that people were much more cognizant and aware of the role of technology. What COVID proved was that level of disparity among the Appalachian region that when children were sent home from school, they didn't have internet to go to to virtual school. When parents were sent home, they couldn't go to work. There was no telehealth available, even though they were telling us not to come into doctor's offices and hospitals. And so it, it truly magnified what this disparity so that while our first disparity when ARC was created was a highway system through the mountain. And so now we're dealing with the second dis- big disparity, and that is the broadband highway system through the mountain. And so everything that, that we're looking at is about envisioning not where we are today, but where do we need to be five years from now. Certainly uh, looking at entrepreneurial, how much that's going to help Build our little communities back, and how we can diverge from the economies that we have always been used to and sort of have funded the Appalachian region. How do we diverge from that and bring in new forms of cleaner energy that will support families that live here? And I think the third thing that we found out is that as we were looking at how do we renovate, reinvent ourselves, is to appreciate the two things that we have always had, the beauty of our land and the beauty of our people. And so there has been a real push on developing outdoor recreation, promoting tourism. But involved in that tourism is also the culture, and tradition of the Appalachian region. What are the people in Appalachia all about? What is our culture and our history? And how do we not fit some of those stereotypes that have always been thrown out? You know, I think for young people, find it embarrassing. You know, we're the hillbillies and the know-nothing. You know, we're proving, I think, as we work through this new strategic plan but there are a lot of people from the big cities that are loving coming into the Appalachian region, the hiking and the biking trails, the fishing, the whitewater rafting, all of the things that we've always had uh, that people weren't aware of. So I believe that Probably one of the greatest things that is coming out of of our strategic plan is just this acknowledgement of recognizing and promoting what we've always had, but we need to do it better. And what we also found out, people want the outdoors, but they want that amenity of being able to open their cell phone or open their computer and connect with the world.
0: I greatly appreciate the way you answered that because we get frustrated on this show you know, when we, we discuss Appalachia, one of the first things that people ask us, you know, what are the challenges of Appalachia? And the way you just answered it and the way we like to answer it is first talk about the opportunities that are here. You know, there's some amazing opportunities. And and just to the point that you just made, we just recently had a guest on. They were actually a recent power grant recipient, the Kentucky Wildlands, and oh. they are you know, working hard to rebrand the region of Eastern Kentucky. And we asked them when they were on the episode in terms of rebranding, sometimes the history gets lost or or the culture or the identity of Appalachia, what it's been built on gets lost. And then their rebranding is, is that something that they're doing? And they emphatically answered No, and that it was quite the opposite. They're doubling down on our Appalachian culture, on our Appalachian heritage, on the positive aspects of what has always made Appalachia, you know, beautiful, amazing, challenging, but wonderful at the same time. So just in regards to that that history and that region, is that kind of the ARC's mission as well, to not rebrand the region, but to talk about, you know, the positive culture and heritage that we do have?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that is so important, and I think people are appreciating and realizing that more every day. I would say <clears throat> the unfortunate piece it took people coming in from the outside marveling and appreciating that I think really woke us up to appreciate what we do have. You know, sometimes they say you don't see the forest for the trees, but I think we take much of our land for granted. And we see the ruggedness, and certainly there in eastern Kentucky and in southern West Virginia, if you lifted the boundary line, you wouldn't know where to put it back. Right. The demography and yeah. topography of our land through there, and it, it's very rugged and it's rough. And I think we have always seen that as a hindrance, There's a, a real challenge, but it is part of our beauty. And the resilience and the resourcefulness of the people that live there have proven that there's great things that can be done. And the quilting and the pottery and the history that have been handed down for generations, it truly are are treasures. And we're just now really learning how to capitalize on that, but also bringing in this broadband technology, which is so critical to how we take that history and tradition and
0: move it forward in the 21st century? That's a great answer. I think you could be our third (laughs) (laughs) co-host. Also, you know, with the ARC, well, well, economic development in general, it's always been about jobs, jobs, jobs. In the last couple of decades, there's, there's been this shift to workforce, 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 much like the ARC has shifted from you mentioned earlier, it first started to, to build the highway system or cut ribbons in regards to infrastructure. In the last couple of decades, the ARC has really shifted to building human capital. With your background and education and leadership and you, you know your roles as a connector and a convener, I think you align seamlessly with that shift. From your perspective, how do you see the importance of workforce development in the region and ARC's mission in that regard?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. There has been a shift, but you also partially explained the shift. You know, when we talk about workforce development, that's not a thing, that's people. And we're talking about taking people and how do we make sure that people are ready for the jobs that are available and that they continue to be able to grow and stay and have a good quality of life. As an educator, I've, of course, firmly believe that education is at the foundation of everything that we do. And people say to me, when does education start? And I say it starts the day that baby is born. The nurturing and the support that it gets starting in early childhood, preschool, and then a seamless continuation between uh, preschool and post-secondary. So that we are actually are promoting lifelong learning. And that everything that we do should be helping to build people. And that's not just through education. It's not just job training. It's health care. It's living a healthy life. It's child care. It's being able to support parents as they also reach out to establish a career. So we believe that that this continuum is because we're dealing with people. Now, what has been the tragedy of all this is the opioid epidemic, which has hit the country, but certainly no place any harder than it has hit the Appalachian region. And so we created the Inspire Grant to support individuals, not only through rehab, through helping them get away from their addiction, but then into a supportive system where they could live and be safe and have counseling and then training into a job and not just a job, but how can that job take them into a career and make them a productive part of their community again, which gives them hope and purpose and it rebuilds their lives. So it is about when we talk about workforce development, it's about every one of those people that we've tried to find a way to support and help move forward into a quality of life that builds a community that's then able to not just survive, but thrive. As the individuals thrive, their community will thrive.
0: Speaking about education there a minute ago, I have a question just about you. What subject did you teach when you were a full-time educator? And, and at what stage of your life did you know that you wanted to be an educator? <laughs>
1: well, I was in language arts, English, reading. My master's was in reading. That is my background. I didn't. I went to college with this sort of dream. I went to WVU was sort of this fairyland that I was going to major in English, probably go to New York and work for some big publishing firm where I would help create not great masterpieces myself, but through critiquing and editing. My father, who was paying for my education, thought that was kind of a pie-in-the-sky screen, <laughs> and he said, I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think you need to think about a real job. <laughs> and so and of course I love school so sort of said well teaching yeah that would be good so I uh, I went into teaching but realized when I was in college you did your student teaching your last semester of your senior year and so my last semester of my senior year I would send out to Booth which is a, a rural far area outside of Morgantown, and I was was with middle school students that uh, at that time they were tracking students. So these students were not necessarily the ones that had been selected to go to college. And I love every minute of my time there. That's when I realized that my dad hadn't been so bad after all. And <laughs> oh, So <laughs> Will, and I, that direction.
0: Will and I grew up with a mother uh, that was also an English major and, and, and an educator for years. So I have to know, I know you have three children, I believe. Mm-hmm. Were you as highly critical of all their papers growing up as our mother was?
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Not only their papers, but when they spoke. Yeah. If we were somewhere and they used a verb incorrectly or I was under my breath whispering to them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you, we recently had, well, in the past, we had Brandon Dennison on from Cofield Development great organization, but they take a unique perspective and, and one that we champion on this show as well. But much much like communities should focus on their assets, co-field development is really building upon the human cap- capital that they do have and, and the assets that they do have present. And they build economic viability from the ground up. Does the ARC share those same sentiments that we should be building from the ground up throughout Appalachia?
1: Well, it's so interesting that you asked that. Actually, that is the premise that ARC is built on. And it is in statute that projects have to begin at the ground level, get local support from business, government, nonprofits, everybody working together, putting some money into it. Then they go to the state. The state agrees with that plan. They put money in. And then it comes to the ARC. I mean, that's why I'm called a federal co-chair. I'm not just one person. I work in collaboration and partnership with 13 states, 423 counties, 26 million people. The governors are my commission, and each year they select one of the governors to serve as the state co-chair. So the federal co-chair and the state co-chair are a team. But everything we do is based on this collaboration of working with groups from the ground up. In fact, and I know Brandon, and he is a very bright young man that is pulling people together from not just where he lives, but from all around the region. And that is what I'm trying to tell our commission, is that they do not call us the 13 states of Appalachia. They call us the Appalachian Regional Commission, and that we should all be working more to reach out, cross-state lines, working with other states, other counties, that if we can start lifting up our region, our states will benefit from that. But we need to do it together, not everybody just doing their own little project. And Brandon Dennison has been a real uh, innovator in knowing that that's how we need to work, that we can't just work in our own little silo, that we've got to share our information and bring people together in order to make really good things happen.
0: We couldn't agree more in, in that regard. We've said time and time again that, you know, Appalachian as a region is much better as a whole than they are, you know, they're separate parts. Going back to you said when you were when you were in college, your dad made a statement to you, you need to get a real job. Well, looking back on it now, I'm just curious, and this is kind of an off-the-wall question. Would you recommend politics or being a politician to a younger person? And uh, what do you think your dad would have said to you about politics and politicians? And how much do you enjoy that side of it?
1: Well, let me say this. We're in a very strange time right now in our country and in our individual states. And I look at young people and I, I think they must be looking at Washington and saying, what is wrong? What is wrong with those people? Yeah, sure. Um, and it's certainly discouraging, I think, for young people to think about exposing themselves and their families to the lack of civility, the ugliness that exists across politics today. And that's, that's a shame. When I was growing up, sure. There were differences in the different parties, and people didn't always agree, but they talked things out, and they worked it through. My fear, I lived in a time where being a politician was not a dirty word, yeah. and the fact that it's become a dirty word is very unfortunate. Yes. People that give their life to service to decide policy that should make our states and our country better should be respected. And so, yes, I think giving life to service, being in politics, understanding policy and how it's designed is extremely important. Uh, And I think what we have to do is keep telling young people, don't give up. Don't give up on your state. Don't give up on your country. Because we need them to get involved and to help bring back a civility and a an opportunity that people can respectfully disagree with each other. But at the end of the day, you make decisions that are going to make your state and your country a better place in which to live.
0: Would it be fair to say that all politicians should be like Appalachians and be resilient and work hard and work together?
1: Absolutely.
0: Perfect (laughs) description. I've heard you say that, well, I've heard Senator McConnell say that Kentucky is the heart of Appalachia. But I've heard you rebut that and say that, West, well, then if Kentucky's the heart, then West Virginia is the soul of Appalachia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I say. And I told him that because, again, if you look at Southern West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky, we are right in the middle, right in the center of Appalachia. And yet, if you look at where the most, the largest contingency of distressed counties exists, it is in that center. It's where the the majority of the biggest coal fields across this country. It was where most of the coal that kept the lights on in this country and was sent to the steel mills to make the strongest steel. It came from this part of our country. And so the fact that Uh, coal is not the industry that it once was, should not mean that then we're less than. And unfortunately, I think that there has been a a very unfair comparison made that uh, if coal is dirty, then the people that worked in coal must be dirty. They must be less than. And we need to change that entirely. The people that built this country to begin with are the people from Appalachia. And those same people will build this new economy and will will build back what America really is meant to be. So if Senator McConnell says, he's the heart, then West Virginia is the soul. And I think the heart and soul working together, we can transform. But I, I will go back to saying, I think it, it means we work together.
0: Yeah, I think some of the roles that, that senators have in the Senate right now, even in West Virginia with your husband and Senator Shelley Moore Capita, and, and you know the legislation that has awarded the ARC $196 million in, in funding, I think the stars have kind of aligned for West Virginia, but for Appalachian as a whole. And, and if there was a, any better time, it's now for Appalachia.
1: Well, I think that Congress has shown great confidence And what we have done. And I appreciate that. That certainly happened before me. I haven't even been here a year yet. But they have shown confidence. But I think they also have challenged us that we can't continue if they're going to give us more money, then we can't continue to just do things the way we've always done. And you both are absolutely right. We have an opportunity right now that we have never had before and may never have again. I think this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really start transforming. I talked about making communities not just survive, but thrive. I think what they're looking for us to do is, why can't we compete? Why can't we take those counties and take them to a whole nother level? not just of survive but competing on a global economy, bring us to parity with people in the rest of this country. And so I hope that we're up to that challenge. I think we are. I think our states can do it. So we're going to make every effort to make that happen.
0: Have you always recognized as an Appalachian? Neil and I say all the time that it kind of took us getting away to really appreciate what we had in Appalachia. Have you always recognized as an Appalachian?
1: I guess I've been fortunate to have the opportunity to travel growing up and then even as an adult. And I guess there were probably times when I would have been one of the ones making fun of West Virginia until I did some traveling and came back and thought, no, this is, this place is, be. the, best, this is the place to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to... Nice to visit, but boy, is
0: it good to come home. Yeah. I just wanted to ask, as no better time than now to ask, but we ask all of our guests this, and I'm just curious what comes to mind for you, since we're on this subject anyway, but what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word Appalachia to you?
1: Mountains.
0: (laughs) Always (laughs) interested to hear what our guests have to say, and so we do hear that a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah, Uh, it's always about the mountains. You know, I love the beach, I love the ocean. You sure. don't have the beach or the ocean, but you also, it's like you hunger. You don't look out and see those mountains Yeah. Uh, that you kind of feel like uh, embrace you. Somehow you feel very safe, or I do mm-hmm. when I'm here, that I'm in the comfort of these mountains, which will protect me and also be beautiful to look at.
0: Federal Co-Chair, we wanted to ask a few rapid-fire questions, a couple trivia, West Virginia trivia questions, and a couple get-to-know Federal Co-Chair Mansion questions if you're open to that.
1: Okay, we'll see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So since you're obviously a lifelong resident, you were the first lady for a number of years, do you know the highest waterfall and one of the most photo landmark in West Virginia?
1: Well, when I think of waterfall, I think of Blackwater.
0: Ding ding ding. Yes, yes, you are correct. Do you know what happens on the third Saturday of October every year in West Virginia?
1: Oh, could that well no, because the bridge Yeah you know, is that it?
0: Yeah, that's it. There's oh,
1: okay. That. I was gonna say I thought it fluctuated sometimes. Okay.
0: Bridge Day. Yeah, bridge yeah. That's day. Okay. that's that's a goal of Neil and Neil and mine to to get to Bridge Day. We've never been. As a West Virginian. Do you really like pepperoni roll? I
1: love pepperoni (laughs) roll.
0: Another trivia question. Much like you were the first West Virginian to serve as federal co-chair, do you know the first African-American woman to become a member of any legislative body in the U.S. in
1: 1928? Oh, well, you know what? I just saw that not too
0: long ago. Oh. I will give you a hint. It's Minnie Buchanan Harper. And she was of Welch, West Virginia. I just found that fact very amazing.
1: I think that was during Black History Month.
0: That that I, and that. I
1: was so surprised. I did not, was not aware of that at all.
0: I'm sure you will know this one since you spent some time at the Capitol. The oldest and youngest, it's is a trick question, governor of West Virginia.
1: Cecil Underwood. That's right. He was elected (laughs) in
0: 56 and again in 96 at 34 and 74. Do you know the, it's called the nature's air conditioned city. Anytime it gets above 90 degrees, the chamber of commerce Commerce in this city serves lemonade to the entire town. Do you know that Bluefield, Bluefield, West Virginia. But see,
1: I would question, I think Beckley, yeah. Air that was it? much that, that you know, no one had air conditioning in their home <laughs> exactly because we were at that much higher altitude than like Charleston.
0: We'll give you that. Do you have a preference? Country roads or the West Virginia Hills? <laughs>
1: West Virginia Hills. Okay,
0: nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of like that one too. We've asked a couple guests this, but because Biscuit World is synonymous to West Virginia. Do you prefer biscuits or cornbread?
1: Oh, another hard one. <laughs> well, it depends on if I'm eating breakfast or dinner.
0: <laughs> That's good an- Good answer. Good answer. What's your favorite thing to do in West Virginia?
1: Well, I love walking. And so hiking uh, anywhere we go, uh, we have a little place over in Canaan Valley. I love walking through the trails there up at Dolly Sods. I enjoy doing it with people, but I also enjoy doing it by myself. That's a good time to reflect on the world around me and also myself. My husband loves to fish. I don't care to fish, but I love to go with him when he's fishing and read a good book.
0: That. Spoken like a true English teacher. That's what my mom does when she goes fishing with my dad.
1: <laughs> See? <laughs> I'm a perfect teacher.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Would you say you prefer yens or y'all?
1: Oh, y'all. <laughs> I could not believe. What is you <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: a, That's the English teacher coming out of you. Yeah. Oh,
1: my gosh. These people in Pennsylvania. Well, I had a student in college one day say to me, because I had said y'all, and they said, what part of speech is that? And I said, second person plural.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Another question. This might be tough, but I think I know the answer because of your background. Are you a thundering herd or a mountaineer?
1: That is tough because (laughs) I believe that West Virginia is so fortunate to have two universities like West Virginia and Marshall in our state. You know, I went to WVU, so I bleed blue and gold, but I would cheer for Marshall any day that they're not playing WVU. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. That's good
0: answer. Good well, answer. A follow-up to that, have you ever burned a couch?
1: No, I have not a
0: couch. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too much to put you through in regards to rapid fire. One last question. We ground our podcast on place and perspective, and so home is really important to us. But where do you call home and what makes it home for you? What makes it unique?
1: Well, I I do love, you know, I grew up in Backley. We lived in Fairmont. I went to WVU. We have a place in Canaan. And I have always lovingly said that I consider West Virginia my home. And the people of West Virginia are my family. Because we have so much in common wherever I have traveled in the state. And I don't care if you're in Morgantown. That is a much more urban type place, or if you were in Welch, there are commonalities about people and the character of the people that live here. So it's not a place in West Virginia. It is the whole atmosphere of West Virginia that feels like home to me.
0: That's a great answer. We just want to thank you for your time. We are very appreciative of it. And thank you for being on the show, Federal Co-Chair Manchin.
1: Well, I think that I should get to ask you all
0: questions. All right,
1: all right. I think I ought to be able to rapid fire a little bit. (laughs) So you two are brothers and you seem to have this great interaction with each other and doing these podcasts. Have you always had that kind of loving relationship?
0: Can I go? Yeah, you go first. I'm the youngest of four and he hasn't loved me since birth. So... (laughs) He didn't want me around to begin with. He just kind of had to adapt and put up with me. But we started this podcast. Actually, it's a great question. We're both the father of three kids. We live hours away from each other. And we started this podcast as a way for us to reconnect more often, basically. It's hard as adult uh, husbands and parents to find the time to check in with your brother weekly. But for me, as little brother... It's been a great experience and, and a lot of fun to kind of reconnect on a, on a daily almost, definitely weekly, with my big brother, who I've always looked up to and always wanted to be like. Um, but believe it or not, back in the day, I always had to do the talking for him. And when I tell people that we grew up with that we have a podcast, they can't believe that he talks to people. So. <laughs> Like most Appalachians, family's really important to us. And Neil and I, because we live so far apart, we haven't had the opportunity in the last number of years. You know, once you start having kids, priorities change. Time is of the essence. So yeah, having this podcast has been a tremendous opportunity for us to reconnect and rekindle that brothership that we've had. We've always been close, but we just haven't had the opportunity to connect like we have with this.
1: Oh, that's great. That is just great. Thank you. Keep it up. Good for you all.
0: And, and thanks again for your time. We appreciate you putting up with us for as long as you did.
1: Oh, no, this was fun. Thank you so much.
0: So, Will, what an honor for us to have the federal co chair miss gail mansion on the show with us tonight obviously our listeners got to hear from her and i'm sure they were thoroughly impressed as i was and what an honor for us to have her on it was definitely an honor and you could hear the passion she has for appalachia obviously born and raised it kind of blew my mind like i said in the interview of how she was the first federal co-chair from West Virginia. Although in the 57-year history of the ARC, there have only been 13 federal co-chairs. Still surprised me since West Virginia is the only state that's entirely in Appalachia that she is the first. I know you kind of gave us a rundown of the history in the beginning, but to that point, question: How long does the federal co-chair serve? That's a good question. I, I don't really know that answer. In fifty-seven year history, there's only been thirteen. So if they don't, it's not a term. If they're appointed by the president. I guess when the president new president so in, when they, a new president comes in, they could appoint someone else. Sometimes it changes. Sometimes it doesn't. I guess. You know, I I really enjoyed our conversation with her you could tell she's an old English teacher like our mother. So I really, I really enjoyed talking to her. Some people complain about the politics behind how they drew up the ARC. You know, that's neither here nor nor there right now. That's a whole nother episode in itself. And everyone knows who her husband is. Regardless of politics, I think, her background—it's a seamless transition into, you know, what the ARC is trying to do right now, especially around workforce, like we talked about in the episode. Just to hear her passion—I I was glad to hear her talk about the bottom-up approach that the ARC to allow the local entities to decide what should be done. You know, no one knows a place like the people of that place, and I, I was glad to hear that. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> Speaking of of place, Will. Do you have uh do you have anything for me tonight in the of place segment? Like we said last week, of place is just something either in the episode or something that just gives us that sense of place about Appalachia. You know, as federal co chair Manchin was talking. As I mentioned before, you could hear the passion for Appalachia and her voice and it just made me think of us growing up in Pineville, in Appalachia, and ha- how much of a passion that we have for place as well. There's just always something about, we've mentioned it time and time again on this show, the mountains that just draw you in. There's that culture, there's that heritage that we talked about in the episode that just gives you that sense of place. Like some people have said on here, it's its own character. Place is its own character in Appalachia. It still continues to pull us back, Will, like it is here in the next couple of weeks. That's what I was thinking about as federal co-chair Manchin was talking. I was thinking about the very first episode that we had was of the Mountain Laurel Festival, We had Ashley Maiden, who is now the director of the Mountain Laurel Festival, something that we love to do, something that we grew up with. It's something that we know. It's somewhere that we consider home and it's something that just draws us back. And I just wanted to mention that because I wanted to let the listeners know as our one year of doing this show comes up, we are going to do a live episode at the Mountain Laurel Festival this year, a behind the scenes episode to let you know. What we know about the Mount Laurel Festival. Yeah, so we'll be live there on uh, Friday, May the 27th. And uh, we'll give our listeners kind of a behind the scenes look at what's going on as the all the candidates prepare and practice for their upcoming events. So I'm looking forward to that too Will. Uh, I've only spent a couple of times or only really only seen behind the scenes maybe twice in my lifetime. So I can't think of anything better than the Mount Laurel Festival to have for that. Absolutely. And so I wanted to thank Federal Co-Chair Mansion again. We appreciate everything that the ARC does and I just wanted to mention again that bottom up approach. You know, no one knows Appalachia like Appalachians. I'm thankful for the ARC, thankful for Miss Gail Manchin, and uh, I look forward to uh, reconnecting with her again sometime. I think we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm
1: up in the mountains again I'm getting lighter The air's getting thin And I'm facing down with the grim I've been City too long, sidewalks and buildings, and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.